We are broadcasting live from deep inside the heart of the future Liberty State, brought to you once again by On Fire Ministries and the legacy of a Dr. Stan Monteith, bringing you the story behind the story. And the news behind the news is not about right or left, it's about right and wrong, about our hope not being a man, but in Jesus Christ, about not ending in prayer, but moving to action. And about the gospel of the kingdom, Zechariah 2.5, but I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire to her on all sides, and it will be the glory in her midst. What a promise that is. Now, if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of promises the Lord has about defending the temple of the Holy Spirit and about any enemy that would try to plunder the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right now, I think our shift in mindset, I want to go into this today. I talked a little bit about it during the sermon on Sunday. We, we see God in a wrong light a lot of times because of the way we were raised. So, a a lot of us were raised viewing God as some sort of a harsh judge, just waiting to smack us down for for the smallest infraction. We view him as as almost the accuser of the brethren. And in that, those that view God that way actually become, in many ways, what they are judging. I want to, I want to, talk specifically about what I mean with those kind of statements. And I'm going to give you a few specific examples. But when we view God as a loving father, on the other hand, we hold ourselves totally differently. So when you walk into a courtroom and you say, you're representing uh, the plaintiff, and I want to ask the court for, you're always asking for, But when he's a loving father, we're sons and daughters in his kingdom. We're not asking for anything. We're asking what next? What now? And there is a freedom in that, I am telling you. You pray differently. This is the entire story behind the parable of the prodigal son. The older brother had access to everything in the father's house and yet didn't take advantage of it and blame the father instead for it. This is also mentioned in the parable of the talents where the one that buried his talents says, you're a harsh taskmaster. I knew that. You reap where you don't sow. And he said, because you believed, I'm judging you by your own words. He saw God in the wrong light. And I'm telling you right now today, on on most important subjects, if we don't have the right view of God and the right view of ourselves, we come to some pretty skewed conclusions. I want to share a story. uh, Just last week, it was having dinner with some friends of ours, and uh, their young boy said, it's never okay to lie. And I said, okay, well, Let me test that theology. If you believe lying is, and I do, I do, I I can't lie. If you believe lying is a sin, and by the way, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that it is, okay? And you have the mentality that I cannot lie, I cannot lie, I cannot lie, I cannot lie, I cannot lie. And yet a murderer comes to your doorstep. You love your mom, right? He's like, yeah, I love my mom. A murderer comes to your doorstep, knocks on the door, says, where's your mom? Are you going to tell her? Tell him where she is? Excuse me? you going to tell her? Are you going to tell him that? Hey, she's over there. No, of course you're not going to do that. But if you have the wrong view of God, you think your sin avoidance is more important than actual love. And you have a wrong view of what he's going to do in that situation. If you think, yeah, she's over there, I can't sin, I can't sin. And this is one of the skewed views in the church over the last several hundred years that has led people to the the pacifist heresy. And I use that term intentionally. We essentially become the evil we are judging if we don't get involved. I, I, 
I've heard about uh, stories about uh, the first plagues in the Roman Empire during the, the first era of Christianity, uh, also during the Black Plague in Europe. And there were really three types of Christians. There were Christians that ran for the hills. There were Christians who said, we need to repent. This is God's judgment. And, and literally, they would walk in the streets and like flail themselves but never helped anybody, said it's God's judgment, nothing we can do. And then there were the Christians who actually went out there and put their lives on the line to help people that were lost and dying find Jesus and provide comfort to them, exhortation, prayer, edification in their time of uttermost need. Which kind of Christian are you? Which kind of Christian am I? If you have the wrong view of God, you think it's God's judgment. Can't do anything. And you sit on the sidelines and you become the German church of the 1930s. Enabling evil. Enabling evil to flourish. You actually become what you have judged. Scriptures replete with these references, by the way. Now, this wrong view of God leads people to not defend other people from the horrors of things like Nazism. And virtually every kind of leftism, fascism is a leftist thing, communism is a leftist thing, socialism is a leftist thing, and it has left a trail of bodies in its wake. And Christians in Brazil right now are figuring out that when government comes against what its purpose is, and that is to defend our God-given unalienable rights to life, liberty, happiness, life, liberty, property, and the ability to defend the same, when it becomes destructive of those ends, and the people are the government, and this is Thomas Jefferson, that they are actually, as the church, supposed to get involved, be politically active. In fact, this is a lesson from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany. There is, there is a quote from Edmund Burke. You've heard me say on the show a couple of times, but it is, there is no safety for an honest man except by believing all possible evil of evil men. There is no neutrality in a time like this. People who say, oh, I'm just going to weather a storm and keep my head down, right? God hates cowardice. Revelation 21.8. He hates it. And the reason he does is because it allows other people to suffer and gives people a wrong impression of his love. A loving father protects his children. And sons and daughters which would then be brothers and sisters in the kingdom, protect each other. That's why Alexander Solzhenitsyn in Gulag Archipelago, pages 15 and 16, says how they burned in the camps. This is actually a footnote. How they burned in the camps later, wondering at what time should they have done something. And the point that he came to, the answer he came to was, at the time they come to take my neighbor's stuff. At that time, that's when I should do something. It's when I should stand up. The Christians are actually supposed to be involved. They're supposed to be the ecclesia, which is a governmental term that we are supposed to be impacting society, not society impacting us, that we are supposed to be changing the atmosphere in the room that we walked in, walk into, not the room atmosphere changing us, that we are supposed to be transforming, not being transformed. God's judgment follows evil. It's, a, it's attached to evil. So if we let evil in, then yes, God's judgment comes in, but evil gets pushed out. There's no problem. And we need to change our mindset on what the kingdom of God actually is and who he actually is. He is a loving father who doesn't want us to be navel-gazing, 
with sin management. He wants us to accept the blood that he shed on the cross that paid for all sin. He wants us to repent. He wants us to confess. And then go out and heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead and deliver those who are captive. The cross is a door, not a stopping point. And in this time, our view of God, harsh judge or loving father, is going to determine our character in the crises to come. And that is the briefing. Well, I should say that's just the start of the briefing. That is the first segment here on Patriot Radio. And if you get a chance, share some of this stuff with your friends and family who are struggling with these issues. It's really important that they do that. But we are going to now move to the briefing. And I want to move first to a couple things that are happening right now. Um, Kosovo and Serbia, that situation is still hot. Uh, there have been Serbian military units seen moving toward the border. And, you know, on this daily intelligence briefing, I'm telling you this stuff, and I'm going to release something at the end here, so please pay attention to the end, about what to do in this time, what to watch for. So, obviously, the Russians are preparing a winter offensive. Historically, they have been very poor at winning winter offensive. Uh, they've been very good at winter defensives, but not winter offensives. And so they are clearly preparing a winter offensive. Um, and part of that is going to involve Serbia-Kosovo. Now, it's not to say the, the Kosovo government is innocent, but the K-4 NATO forces there denied the Serbs the ability uh, to really defend themselves up on that border. And as a result of that, the tensions are continuing to increase. But stepping back from kind of the local aspect of that and seeing it from a global aspect, clearly Russia is trying to put another front for NATO to worry about. In addition to that, there have been a massive amount of troops and equipment moving into Belarus, as we've been reporting on this show for now, um, what, over a month and a half. Also, uh, BMD2 armor, so this is... Just, just to be really simple, this is old Soviet-era armor, which tells me that the Russian armor is running thin. They are moving that into Crimea because very clearly the Ukrainians are going to take back Crimea, and the Russians, they just don't have the force and horsepower right now to really repel it. There is an offensive going on in the eastern part of Ukraine right now, and uh, the Ukrainians seem to just be bleeding the Russian forces dry. Now, obviously, there's, there's casualties on both sides. But most people don't know what the real fight there is over. And so I'm going to tell you again, as a reminder, that there is a lot of natural gas and coal under that region. In fact, Donbass is a abbreviation of this coal basin that exists there. Putin wants it because the Ukrainians were getting ready to develop it, and it is one of the largest in the world, so it's in the top 25. In addition to that, there is also exploitable natural resources in Poland. So clearly the Russians would lose leverage if the Ukrainians developed that. So that's why there's such a fierce fight there. Now, particularly around Bakhmut, which is a uh, home of gigantic salt caverns. I mean, these were, things were huge. They actually were used as army depots to store uh, armored equipment in. So people say it's a strategic. It's not really strategic. It really isn't. Other than the natural resources that are there. So we see the Russians trying to do a limited offensive right now. This is not the full offensive. But they look like they are preparing for it to happen. Now, I suspect, this is supposition, that it will be right around the same time as the Chinese try to invade and take Taiwan. Which, as we have talked about on this show, we are within a 90-day window of something happening. It probably start as early as within 30 days. This is from a couple weeks ago dating it. To 90 days out. 
The United States has taken a position now, and you can see on Twitter here, I've got a few um, very specific articles talking about the primary sources and the reasons for what I'm saying, um, coming from OSINT Defender, coming from Knightsbridge Research, and also uh, Open Source Intelligence. Uh, we have U.S. air assets that are trying to track what's happening in Belarus, but I want to get back to, to Taiwan. So the United States is now very quickly ramping up a strategic alliance centered around South Korea, Japan, and the Philippines. And being very open that it is because they see a conflict with China coming in the near future. I want to talk about also that... South Korea is making preparations to potentially suspend the 2018 tension reduction agreement with North Korea. So you have now the South Koreans preparing to remove communication conduits that would de-escalate the situation. And again, this gets to the worst case scenario. And this is what you need to look for over the next couple of weeks. Okay. Belarus invading the north of Ukraine and a massive winter offensive, particularly in the Donbass area. At the same time, there's another offensive from the south in Crimea toward the north. So watch for this to happen because it's going to happen all in a very close Proximity, and I have not forgotten Israel. I'm going to get to that here in a second. But it's all in a close proximity that this is all going to occur. So if you see this, then you know that there likely could be an escalation of cyber attacks and other attacks on the U.S. homeland. And I'm going to talk about those here in a second as well. But clearly... Clearly, the Israelis are preparing something in Iran. They're preparing to do some kind of a strike against Iran. Now, I don't know if that's just going to be missile strikes or that's actually going to involve some of their special forces to start. I don't know. But I'm looking, okay, if there's missile strikes between the Israelis and the Iranians, at the same time that there is something happening with Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine, I'm, I'm looking again that, okay, probably something's going to happen with Taiwan. And if it happens with Taiwan, the worst case scenario is that North Korea invades South Korea. And that the Chinese try to take some of the Japanese islands that are near Taiwan. If that occurs, then the likelihood of a strike on the U.S. mainland, you heard me correctly, that would attempt to take down our power grid... And I'm going to get, again, I'm going to get to power grid here in a second. Take down our power grid and take down our cell network. The likelihood of that happening increases dramatically. Now, the Chinese and the Russians, and actually just Soviet doctrine in general, tries to shape the battlefield ahead of doing these things. And so what they'll do is they'll send in provocateurs, they'll send in saboteurs into an area to prepare it. So if they're preparing to attack our power grid, you would expect there to be attacks on our, oh, wait a minute, Travis, has that been happening in the last few weeks? It has. And in fact, there's a lot that's been going unreported. Out of Nevada, there was an attack on a solar farm where a guy went in there and set his car on fire, caused a whole bunch of damage that they can't repair very quickly. In addition to the guys that were just arrested, in really dubious reasons they said they were trying to take down the grid, for attacking four substations, trying to create, I believe, a, cat uh, a catastrophic or cascading power grid failure. And they said it was to go rob someplace. That doesn't make sense. There's more to this than I think we acknowledge. In addition to that, you would see the activation of the cartels near the Mexican, wait a minute, that happened this last week, where you had mass shootings, cartel activity in border towns, not just one, multiple border towns with the United States. 
And there's now further cartel and drug activity here inside the United States. Fentanyl infiltration is not going down. So this is all softening up the United States for what is about to happen. Now, again, it makes it more likely. So what does that mean to you? I'm watching what's going to happen with China and Taiwan. Uh, If you see China blockade Taiwan, then I'm looking to see the next steps. So you, you don't need news to evaluate this as much as you need. Okay, as soon as I see that happen, I know something bigger is coming. And what does this tell you as well? That a loving father provides for his children. Are you taking the opportunity he has given you to have food and water stocked up in the event of supply chain shortages. I mean, here's your sign, for goodness sakes, they're they're rationing eggs. Do you have enough? And people that flip and say, well, I've got guns, I'm going to go. Yeah, okay, whatever. That's not even Christian to say something like that. We need to be ready. That's the purpose of this. It's not fear. It's just, I can see what's happening. I know that the Lord wants us to dominate in these kind of times and be there to help people in these kind of times and preach the gospel of the kingdom to them in their distress and to provide food for them and shelter if needed. Am I ready to do that? So this is, this is what is happening. Now, Iran... And this coming to us from Debcafile is building two carriers or sea platforms for launching drones. So now drone warfare is becoming mainlined. And why, why would they be building two carriers for drone attacks? Well, obviously, they're planning on a bigger war in the Middle East. I want to read this from uh, Phytox News on Twitter. The U.S. and Japanese armed forces are rapidly integrating their command structure and scaling up combined operations at the U.S. and its naval allies, Asian allies, excuse me, preparing for a possible conflict with China, such as a war over Taiwan, according to the top U.S. Marine Corps general in Japan. So this isn't from a low-level source. Now, I want to talk about what this means. They are arming um, uh, the Japanese military and the, the, the Philippines military, along with just U.S. forces in the general region, with increased portable anti-air, anti-ship platforms. Um, These are mounted on trucks, and this actually, uh, the Russians said, was a violation of a treaty. Not that the Russians actually really keep up with those treaties, but also the fact is that Trump actually started to get us out of some of these things because it just made sense. So what this is really saying is that they're preparing for an, another island hopping campaign. Now, if you've never heard the term island hopping, it comes from World War II, where quite literally U.S. forces hopped island to island to island and rooted out the Japanese forces until finally they got so close to Japan uh, that it resulted in the release of a nuclear weapon over Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end the war. Now, part of this strategy in the islands in the Pacific is to make sure that there is decentralized command and control on each one of these islands, but also that there are portable systems. So they're very hard to target. Now we're seeing this being this tactic being effectively used in Ukraine right now, where in Ukraine, they have artillery MLRS launchers, HIMARS, which will shoot and move. And so this is kind of the, the, the technique that's being used there. Instead of massive waves of artillery like the Soviets and virtually every communist country kind of uses as tactics, this is different than that. So we, we as Americans believe in decentralized command and control. Now, this is, I want to talk about this quickly because this is what we should be pursuing here in America. And this is something that you can actually talk to your local elected officials about and something you talk to your state elected officials about. This is what we should be doing. Decentralization of command and control, decentralization of hardening the grid, decentralization of emergency preparedness are all things that back in the Kennedy administration, we believed because it made us resilient to anything that the 
Soviet Union was trying to do. So let me give an example of that. The National Guard and is is the regular militia. Now, the irregular militia was just every able-bodied man between ages 18 and 45. That's actually in the state constitution. So that was a decentralized military, as it were. It could be called up in the case of an invasion or a war to protect the homeland here in America. Decentralized. Also, emergency preparedness was decentralized in our communities where we had emergency supplies and, and literally a city could go without any supplies coming in and provide for their citizens in the event of an emergency and not have like this big thing moving from one place to another, but everybody was resilient. This is where we need to go now, I believe, in the time that's coming. Decentralization of everything. And that's a strategy that always defeats communism because they have to have everything centralized. And as a result, they move slower and they're less flexible than those who believe in freedom and liberty who are decentralized at the local level. This, this goes all the way back to the Revolutionary War now to today. So how do we then view the world around us in a way that is not out of fear? Well, I'm going to not be a broken record, a record here, but it is. By knowing he's a loving father and, and pressing into the idea that there is going to be the greatest harvest in the history of the world. I believe it's already started and that we have the honor of being in the middle of it. And that we're not going to be Christians sitting on the sidelines, running to the hills, not going to be Christians flailing ourselves saying, oh, it's God's judgment, nothing we can do, and watching our friends and neighbors suffer. We're going to be the Christians of courage. We're going to be the Christians of valor. We're going to be the Christians God has called us to be, loving our neighbors in this time, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and most of all, loving the Lord God with all our mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit. And out of that, it will flow that we will heal the sick Cast out demons, raise the dead. You heard me on that one. And cleanse the lepers. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to talk quickly about some upcoming events. Uh, here at On Fire Ministries, uh, we try to talk about everything that's going on in the community um, so that you can be involved with it. Well, we have the Holy Spirit Comforter Conference coming up. Dr. Emmanuel Ziga. Travis is going to put this up online. Um, so go visit the Patriot Radio website. Make sure you register. I believe it's the 19th through the 21st. That is going to be at the Spokane Convention Center. Again, Dr. Ziga and the Holy Spirit Comforter Conference. Uh, Andre Shapoval is going to be there. Cal Pierce from the Healing Rooms is going to be there. And many other speakers. So please join us. And again, you can find out more information and register online. If you need that information quickly, just message Travis. Call the church phone and... We can make sure that you get the information and you get registered. And I look forward to seeing you all there here next week. I also want to bring up another event coming. The circuit riders are coming. Now, if you do not know what that is, never heard of it. It is youth revival, music and fellowship, but on a massive scale. So just like last summer, Sean Foyt came to downtown Spokane. We had 6,000 people show up and join us there in fellowship and unity in the Holy Spirit. The circuit riders are coming the 17th and 18th of February. We're going to have more information out on that very, very soon. If you are a young adult, you're a young person, want to help out with that, you're, you're a pastor, you want to help out with that, again, Travis is going to put some information up online. Check it out. Contact us if you've got any questions. And this is an opportunity, again, to see society transformed, especially our young people. So we'd love to see you and, and uh, be a part of this together in unity. Awakening is here. Real awakening. Transformative awakening. 
And God is asking us to pray that he would send more laborers into the fields. Not that we would pray for revival, we would pray for awakening. The scripture says we're supposed to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers in the field, and that's what we pray right now in Jesus' name. So that's coming up 17th, 18th of February. And uh, we've got a little surprise coming up here on Fire Ministries. going to be doing something pretty awesome uh, coming up here in the next three weeks. Stay tuned. Keep up on the Facebook page and also on uh, Gab page and our MeWe page, Getter, all of these platforms. Keep up on it because we're going to be sharing some really exciting news with everybody out there. And uh, thank you all for listening and sharing it. Uh, I know last month was a little bit rocky, especially with the tech side of it, but I think we've got everything ironed out. And so please make sure that you are going on liking it and sharing it. Do not assume people are getting the truth. A lot of people do not get the truth and they need it. And they've actually done studies on this that unless somebody you trust shares it, they're not very likely to actually listen to it or read it. So please share Patriot Radio. And again, go on any of your favorite platforms, and that is the briefing. Remember, the antidote to dependency and socialism is to be a God-fearing, self-reliant, freedom-loving American. Thank you to everybody that has been praying for us. And you can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, and iTunes. Also, if you want great news consistently, you can always go to Epoch Times. Go to iReadEpoch.com, promo code PatriotRadio. Get a support to fantastic resources. And also, if you've got somebody in your life that has been uh, struggling because they, they just felt forced to get the COVID vaccine, I want you to check out Dr. Jason Dean and his nutrition store. Again, you can find that at Brave TV Store or Brave TV.store slash Patriot Radio. Brave TV.store slash Patriot Radio. And blessings to all of you out there that have been supporting us for so long. It's been an awesome decade for Patriot Radio. And now it is my honor to bring on Stephen Bonta. He is the senior editor, an executive senior editor, actually, at the New American Magazine. He's the author of Inside the United Nations, and he is a longtime contributor to the magazine, writing on economics, foreign affairs, and American politics, among other subjects. It is great to have you on, Stephen. How are you doing? Great to be here. I'm doing fine. Thank you. So if you could tell the listeners a little bit about what kind of first got you involved in the political uh, fight and, and, you know, kind of brought you now to the high ranks of the New American magazine. Well, I don't know about the high ranks of anything, but uh, I've <laughs> I been a contributor to the New American for, oh, better part of 25 years, I guess. I got interested in it when I was still in graduate school. And um, I started writing for the conservative school newspaper and got more and more interested in that. And then I reached out to the New American Magazine and um, started a relationship and began, um, you know, began writing for them. And, uh, but I've always been fascinated by politics. I was raised in a very, uh, very political family, although it was pretty much left-wing politics. Uh, so I, I, had, I had a certain learning curve. But um, yeah, so that's always been a part of my makeup. And so, you know, now it's part of my job description. I have to stay, you know, abreast of what's going on. And frankly, this what's happened in Capitol Hill the last few days, I, I find fascinating and um, somewhat heartening, too. I mean, um, you know, I know that uh, that many of the people involved are far from perfect. But I think that a scenario like this would have been unthinkable 20 years ago, you know, when we had one or two lone voices in the House uh, pleading on behalf of constitutional government. And um, now we've got a whole bunch of them. And so I, I really ascribe that to the fact that we have better educated electorate today and people are starting to vote better people in, into, into office. And now we're starting to see the fruits of that. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, the fact that we're not compromising on, on candidates now, because you know, it's all we can vote for is this person, right? The, the, the person who we know is a compromise. No, people are, have had enough. And I love this that, it, you know, I, I talked about when I was in the legislature, the most important vote that you ever took as a legislator was for leadership, bar none. Second most important was for the rules. And so here we see principled conservatives standing up and saying, these are the rules that will actually reflect the people now. And I'd like you to comment on that. And then also kind of this 
um, establishment reaction to it and what how they tried to paint people that were actually standing up for what most Americans, I believe, want to see happen in government. Well, I mean, in the first place, some of these these rules that are being uh, reconstituted haven't been gone for very long. For example, the, the rule that allows a, essentially one person from the majority party to to make a motion to vacate the, the speaker's chair and to trigger a vote, what, what they call no confidence vote in other countries, on the speaker, removal yeah. of the speaker, uh, that was in effect until 2019. And it was removed by the Democrats, who I guess were concerned that members of the squad, you know, might, uh, might, might try to oust Nancy Pelosi or something like that. But that, that's long been, and so this idea that, that this is this horribly destabilizing element, uh, you know, th- th- that and many other provisions that have been gone for not very long are really legacies of a not-so-bygone era when, when people, even in Capitol Hill, understood that it was important that not only constitutionally but also procedurally uh, they be limited. I mean, you know, the Senate filibuster is another good example of something like that, which, of course, there's been an effort to get rid of that, and it's been partially, uh, par- partially taken away. You know, these 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 self-constructed, uh, you know, internal checks and, and, and on their own power. So it's very heartening to see that spirit of self-limitation return, however imperfectly. And of course, obviously, you know, we know from a pragmatic stance that there's a limit to what these people can do right now, given the fact that the Senate is still controlled by the Democrats and by rhinos. And of course, we know who's in the White House. So, you know, the best we can see, we can see a lot of obstruction and possibly some... Um, constructive defunding, uh, you know, particularly now that they've gotten rid of the omnibus bill, in theory, anyway, they're going to vote on it, I think it passed, or they're not going to have 12 separate separate appropriations bills, rather everything bundled into one, you know, one, you know, take it or leave it mass. Uh, so that, and so the, I think these are very, very heartening developments. Now, I had read somewhere that, and I cannot recall exactly right now, that there was even a three-fifths vote to raise taxes put in the rules. I mean, mm. that alone would be fantastic. I mean, I, I, I know you oh, sure. keep track of this. I mean, they love to increase taxes. There's never a tax decrease. It's always, we're going to continue to raise taxes and grow government. Yes. And of course, you know, the, the, the putting the spending caps, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, some of that seems to be a little bit, um, you know, you say, well, if, if, if there were higher moral character among those people, they wouldn't need all of these things. But, but I'll tell you one thing that I do find heart- heartening, Matt, and that is that, um, you know, for the last mm, 20, 30 years, and particularly in the last five, 10 years, we've heard this growing, this crescendo of voices insisting that the only way to save us from ourselves is to have a new constitutional convention, or barring that, a series of amendments to the Constitution, balanced budget amendment, term limits, about all this stuff, you know, uh, to bind these people down. Uh, When we've insisted all along at the New American and at the JBS, the John Birch Society, that the proper solution um, is to activate the deactivated portions of the Constitution as it stands and, and, and also to educate the electorate to get better people into office. And now I think we're seeing some vindication of that strategy. You don't need to have, you know, to run the terrible, terrible risk that a constitutional, you know, Article 5 constitutional convention would entail um, in order to bring about genuine reform. The, all of the machinery is already there in the Constitution, and also in some of these procedural traditions that have been around in Capitol Hill for a long time. And we have a great system of government. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. What is needed is to reinvent the electorate. And that can only be achieved by, by, by education. And that's, that's, I mean, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not a magic wand type of thing. It takes, you know, we didn't get into this mess in a few days or even a few years. It's, it's, it's a transgenerational thing, and it may require a generation or two to, to get back to some semblance of, 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 of sanity and limited government. But it could, it could happen faster than you think, you know? And that certainly this is a great step in the right direction. That's my take. It's my take, too, that, you know, we had 20 people that we would not have those reforms had they not done that. I don't understand why some people fight mm-hmm. against it or say it was an embarrassment or everything. I mean, it's always the people with the status quo, you know, they, uh, we, you can't do it. It's, it's unprofessional or undignified or whatever excuse they bring up. I mean, if Reagan had listened to that, the wall wouldn't have come down. I mean, he wouldn't have stood in front of the Brandenburg Gate and said, hmm. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall if he had listened to Colin Powell and James Baker. Well, and to your point, I mean, Reagan, for all of his great achievements, was very limited in what he was able to do 
and 40 years ago because of the makeup of Congress. You know, he it, it, it wasn't just a partisan thing. It wasn't the fact that the Democrats controlled Congress. It was that there were no constitutionalists at all in Congress. I mean, you know, Reagan seemed like a really strange guy when he made pronouncements about, uh, you, you know, about the need to distrust government, all this stuff. You know, and it, there was really a limit to what he was able to accomplish. Uh, it's hard to know, you know, what he would have done if he'd had a Congress, anything like this one. Um, but, you know, but it, it does go to show that, you know, the Congress and particularly the House is the key. And in as much as it reflects the people's voice more accurately than any other branch of government, as it, as the founders intended, um, it follows that the more virtuous and better educated a populace we have, um, the better off things are going to be. I mean, it will never see earthly perfection, of course. That's not what we're, you know, we're not, we're not utopians here. And neither were the founding fathers. But, um, but my goodness, I mean, what we've seen the last few days has been a tremendous, I mean, the mere fact that they're talking about voting the IRS out of existence, that's never been seriously talked about before. Much Amen, hallelujah. And again, Amen. You know, it's not going to happen anyway, <laughs> just because of the political realities. But the mere fact that it's come up is, to me, just extraordinary. It's something I wouldn't have dreamt of even 10 years ago. I know, just just defunding, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of giddy about that, you know, and I mean, we, we've talked about some of these things for a long time, and now we're actually having the discussions about how to make it actually happen in this time frame, not somewhere way in the future. And I think that, that that's giving a lot of Americans encouragement. I think it's giving a lot of Americans hope, but we still have things like election integrity that we need to talk about. And I'd like to get your take on that and also, you know, the the so-called conservative bona fides of Kevin McCarthy. Okay, well, let's see. So as far as Kevin McCarthy is concerned, I saw an interesting little meme on Facebook today where a person says, I think the, you know, the, the, the Republican Party would do better with, uh, with more Rick McCarthyism. And the other person looks at me and says, you are talking about Kevin McCarthy, right? 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 So anyway... Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy is no jo- Joseph McCarthy, to be sure. But, uh, and um, I think he's not as bad as some. I mean, he's definitely rhino-ish. And his voting record, you know, we, we have this thing called the Freedom Freedom Index that we compile twice yearly here at the New American. And he's not a, a 100 percenter. Uh, he usually is somewhere in the 70s, something like that. So, you know, uh, there are Republicans who are, who are worse than that. Um, you know, I think if he had his druthers, he would be just like um, his two or three predecessors, G- GOP, uh, you know, speakers of the House, just like a Boehner or somebody like that. However, he doesn't have a lot of choice in the matter. He ha- he has you know, they've really held his feet to the fire. And he was an upfront witness as to what happened to John Boehner when he was, in effect, threatened with an ouster if he didn't resign on the basis of this very provision that has just been brought back into existence, this, uh, you know, one motion to, uh, to vacate the chair. So it was made clear to John Boehner in 2015 that if he didn't vacate the chair, that he would be vacated. And so he mm-hmm. did the math and off he went. And at the same time, it was made clear to McCarthy, who even then aspired to be Speaker of the House, that he wasn't welcome either. So he sort of stepped aside and, and waited his turn. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, a lot of my colleagues are, are, are pretty skeptical, and, and I am too. However, um, I am heartened by, and, and it's not just the 20 who actively opposed McCarthy. There were a lot of great people like Thomas Massey, who, for reasons of their own, never voted against him. I mean, the Freedom Caucus has more than 20 members, mm-hmm. and a large number of them, you know, are people who are getting 100%, 95%, 98% consistently on our, our Freedom Index. So they're, they're good people. Jim Jordan's one of them, and he's about, to be, uh, he's about to become chair of the Judiciary Committee. So that's huge. Huge. That's huge. I mean, a guy whose voting record is almost on the par with 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 uh, Ron Paul is now is now going to have one of the most powerful committee chairs. So this is this is great stuff. Now let's see. To circle back, the other thing you asked, um, could you repeat? Yeah, no, no problem. So election integrity. I mean, this is the one that's kind of hanging out there, right? Mm-hmm. McCarthy was not one right. to talk about election integrity, but a lot of the Freedom Caucus and, and the other members you just mentioned too, like Thomas Massey, very clear that we need to address this as an issue in this country. Yeah, that's going to be a harder sell because, of course, a lot of that is, is carried out at the, at the state level and even the local level. I don't know what the House can do about it. Of course, if you watched, you know, much of the, the deliberations and the debates and the votes uh, leading up to McCarthy's election, uh, as I did, 
The Democrats never tired of cudgeling the Republicans with that. Oh, you know, these same people that are holding up this procedure, these are the same radicals, you know, on January 6th and all the election deniers and on and on and on. There was a lot of that going on. And, um, you know, um, obviously that's not going to stop. That that sort of billings gate is going to continue. Um, but I think, you know, I tend to think election integrity may end up being more of a state, a state issue. Um you know, places like Arizona right now, obviously, is the whole thing that's going on, what's going on in uh, Maricopa County. I used to live in Arizona, so I know something about it. Um, sounds like it's being being contended very fiercely in Arizona, and hopefully something will come of that. Um, some states, um, I don't know that you're ever going to be able to do much about, say, uh, New York City precincts or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania precincts um, without um, the federal government seriously overstepping its bounds, unfortunately. Um, another issue, of course, is, you know, the last election in 2020, uh, procedurally states like Pennsylvania did not even draw up the election rules according to the constitution. The legislators supposed, legislature supposed to do that. In the case of, of Pennsylvania, it was the courts that did it. Uh, of course, you know, the, and the attorney general that, that, that did it. So it was palpably invalid. Nevertheless, the courts didn't see fit to, to question the results in, in Pennsylvania, which is actually my home state. Although I now live in Wisconsin, I know a lot about Pennsylvania and how mm-hmm. things go on there. So, I, and I don't know, I, I don't see much hope for resolution of these issues except at the state level. So that'll require an entire less, a separate, a separate kind of issue, a separate, you know, kind of groundswell in some of these states. Um, people demanding reform and that kind of thing. I don't know that it can be opposed or ought to be imposed from the top down. And I thank you for saying that because I think it's important to set people's expectations that it's going to take us at the local level to address a lot of these issues. And we can't just say, oh, it's going to happen at the federal level. We don't need to worry about it. There is one thing, however, that I do believe needs to happen at the federal level, and that is a new quote-unquote church committee and Mm. the investigation of not only the intelligence community and what it has been doing against American citizens, but also the FBI. Do you think that's actually going to have some legs here going into this 118th Congress. Well, definitely. And it's, it's long overdue. I mean, what, what happened historically, for those of your listeners who are, say, under 40 or, or thereabouts, prior to 9-11, it was a shibboleth that, you know, the FBI and the CIA did not surveil American citizens. And that was a direct outgrowth of what the church committee did back in the 70s and made it very clear that, okay, you know, there are rules you know, and there are things you cannot do. And after 9-11, that all went out the window. And so now, you know, we've gotten, unfortunately, used to the fact that, well, our government just spies on us all the time, just in case we might be terrorists or might be doing something else, uh, you know, that the government doesn't like. And, you know, we all know that this happens. It's happened with impunity for the last, under the aegis of the Patriot Act, that gets renewed every year and all this. Um, And of course, in recent years, surprise, surprise, it's permuted into this all-encompassing system where we now surveil our political enemies. And then we use the DOJ and the FBI to target our political enemies, including a sitting president of the United States. But all of this is sort of a logical outgrowth of what we got in the the confused and parlous times after the 9-11 attacks, where we, for a number of years, really forgot who we were as a country and, um, you know, created this massive surveillance apparatus uh, that turned on its own citizens and ultimately on its own government leaders. I mean, I think that's what's what's really going on here. So this is a long overdue palliative. So let's say the investigation finds something. I mean, this is the same thing with Benghazi, right? We, we, we know, we find it. They do a great job uncovering things and then nothing ever happens. How do we make sure that there is actual accountability if they do find something? Well, I think that's difficult when you have an effective fourth branch of government that's not accountable to the electorate at all and really isn't accountable. I mean, as as we all kind of know, the the, the security apparatus is not really, uh, you know, that what we call the deep state is not really accountable to Congress either. I mean, they they can, uh, you know, I mean, Chuck Schumer famously warned uh, I think I think it was a warning. He was he was sort of proud of the fact that if you cross the CIA, they'll get you, kind of thing. You know, there's nobody. Everybody watching it knows that these these agencies are untouchable, and this is an unfortunate consequence of decades of erecting this this government, that this state within a state. Uh, you know, the, the regulatory state, in effect. It's not just the uh, 
security agencies, but all these regulatory agencies, the IRS, of course, is an, among them uh, and so forth, that have no accountability, that make, we call them regulations, but they're laws. They legislate without any constitutional writ of authority and without any semblance of accountability uh, to the American people or even to their representatives in the state legislatures or, or whatever, right? So that is going to have to change. And, and for that to change, again, that's not going to happen overnight. People are going to have to start thinking about government in a new way, or rather revert to the old way that the founders and several generations after them thought about government and the relationship with the people. Stephen Bonta, thank you for joining me on Patriot Radio today. Before we go, 30 seconds, where can people go to find out more information about the New American and also where they can go to get your articles? Well, my articles are on The New American at thenewamerican.com. Um, I'm a senior editor, which means I do a lot of editing and some writing. I'm not as prolific as some of our writers like, like Alex Newman, but, you know, we, we, we believe we are, the, we are your best source for consistent, constitutional, limited government news and also for exposing the machinations of what is now called the deep state, which we've called the insider conspiracy and things like this in the past. Um, we particularly have a lot to say about the United Nations and international organizations. We sent people to the Sharm el-Sheikh conference in Egypt last uh, month and a half ago and so forth. So newamerican.com is the place to, to get to know us. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on Patriot Radio today. God bless you. Keep up the fight. We'll have you on again. Thanks a lot, Matt. Take care. All right, Stephen Bonta, author of The Inside, the United Nations book, and also senior editor at The New American Magazine, again, thenewamerican.com. Now, if you don't read The New American, you should. Again, I've said this many times in the past. It's one of those magazines I read cover to cover every month. Also, I want to remind you, if you missed it at the beginning of the show, coming up February 17th and 18th, Circuit Riders coming to Spokane, Washington. That is youth. Young Adult Revival it is revival in general. Music, but revival. That's the key. That's the heart of it. More information coming out on that here in the next couple of shows. We also have the Holy Spirit Comforter Conference coming with Dr. Emmanuel Ziga coming to the Spokane Convention Center here the 19th through the 21st. You can find out more information at the On Fire website, and also we're going to be posting it up here on Patriot Radio. Make sure you register. Space is limited, and you want to you want to make sure that they get a right count going into this as well. There's something about Spokane with us waiting till the last two weeks. Um, but anyway, if you missed this announcement in the past, it's okay. There's still time. Go register and look forward to seeing you at the Holy Spirit Comforter Conference. All right, I want to end the show today by a very, very quick update. So right now it, it looks like, and I'm just I'm pulling this stuff up as we speak quite literally. Right now, it looks like um, coming to us from Twitter, particularly, that Israeli President, Prime Minister, excuse me, Benjamin Netanyahu virtually addressed a conference today and declared it's time to close ranks between Israel and the United States when it comes to dealing with Iran. So it looks like, again, the Middle East is heating up there. Keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Remember. Everything is under our feet if it's under Jesus' feet and we're seated with him in the heavenlies. This is Matt Shea. Thank you so much for joining me on Patriot Radio today. May God bless all of you. And he is making this generation the greatest one. Keep up the fight.